So we are in a new series called A People for His Name. Uh, we are looking in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the places that the apostles took the gospel in the first century. Cities like Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Patmos, and others. In each place, the apostles uh, took the gospel because they wanted both Jews and Gentiles to be brought into the church. And so last week, we talked about Paul's mission to Thessalonica, and this week we're talking about Paul's mission to Athens. And uh, just so you know, a month ago, I was actually in the city of Athens. I want to show you some pictures that I took while I was able to be there. These are the columns that build up to the entrance into the Acropolis. This is a massive hill on top of which the Athenians built their temples to the pagan gods. In the next picture is the Parthenon. This is one of the most famous buildings in the world, and it was built 2,400 years ago, and it is still standing to this day. Uh, while we were there, we got a tour guide uh, to talk to us about the history of the city, and you realize very quickly, Americans talk in decades, Athenians talk in millennia. They will tell you about things that happened 3,000 years ago, and 4,000 years ago, and 5,000 years ago, and they love telling you that stuff that we love in America, they invented. They'll say, oh, you, you love democracy. We invented democracy. You know those columns in front of your White House? We invented those columns. Those are called Corinthian columns. So if you ever have the chance to go, you realize that the buildings you're looking at were around when the Apostle Paul was there. Just take a second and think about that. He looked at the same buildings you can see today. And I want to focus on the very first verse of this chapter, verse 16. Because it says, Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, Paul could have been amazed with the architecture and could have been in awe of this ancient civilization. But what, the, what Luke, the author of the book of Acts, wants to tell us is that there is one really big eyesore that the Apostle Paul cannot ignore. And it's idolatry, statues of the pagan gods. Because for any Jew like Paul, idolatry is not some minor sin that you can ignore. One of the very first commands that God gave the people of Israel on Mount Sinai is this. And I want to get the quote right. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the first words that he said next were, you shall have no other gods before me. Right after that, God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And God is very specific. He says, don't make an idol in the form of anything in the heaven above, earth beneath, or the waters below. Do not bow down and worship them. So you can imagine how big of an eyesore all of these idols to all of these pagan gods were for Paul. He maintains that view throughout his ministry. He writes in one of his letters to Corinth, another city in Greece, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. I, I want you to see there, Paul says, not you, you should not. He says you cannot. They are mutually exclusive. And here's what I love about Paul. Paul doesn't feel this great distress and then say, well, 
Athens is a lost cause. I'll move on. There's no point in talking to these Athenians. Paul is very worried about Athenian culture. Therefore, he gets to work. Because no matter how much a culture distresses you, every single culture needs the gospel. No matter how much a culture distresses you, every culture needs the gospel. Paul sees an opening, and he makes an effort. He makes an attempt. He doesn't know if he's going to be successful. He just knows he needs to be faithful. Now, sometimes we let distress outweigh the need to spread the gospel, but Paul doesn't. And this is what he does in verses 17 and 18. We read, Paul reasoned with them in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Now, this may be part of the story that you kind of feel like you're not familiar with everything going on, and that's totally okay, but you really need to know what these two groups believed in order to understand just how radical Paul's sermon really was. Okay, so I'm going to put some of their beliefs up on the screen so you can see them. I'm going to pretend to be an Epicurean for a second. Okay, the Epicureans would have said, look, in this life, we're alone. All of history, it's just chance and random probability. The gods, which they believe in the gods, they don't really care about us. They're not going to intervene in the world. Uh, But the good news is, because of their lack of intervention, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about death or divine judgment or anything scary like that. Just try and be happy. Avoid pain. Be an honorable and just person, but do the best you can to maximize your happiness. The Stoics, I think, were on the other side of the philosophical spectrum. They said, you need to live in accord with nature. All of the universe is built according to reason, and so humans need to use their minds to exercise self-control. You are an independent, self-sufficient adult, and you need to do your duty. When your desires get out of hand, you need to control them, overcome them, and do the reasonable thing. Now, you can tell these two groups probably didn't get along all the time. You can tell that. And what I love about Paul is that he comes right into the mix, and they're very confused about him. In verse 18, some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? The word translated right there is seed picker. It's it's an insult. It's like Paul comes along and he's like a little bird and he picks up whatever seed he can find, but he doesn't string it all together. He doesn't have a consistent philosophy. Others say about Paul, he is advocating foreign gods. His gods don't belong here. They said this because Paul preached the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So, because of their confusion, they bring him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. If you can go to the next slide, I actually want to show you all where I got to take this picture. This is the Areopagus, this rocky hill right outside of the Acropolis. So you can actually see that massive hill out in the distance where those pagan temples were built. If you were on that hill right there and you turn to the left, you can look down and see the marketplace. 
So all of this is right next to each other. They aren't miles and miles and cities away from each other. You can look and see the pagan temples. You can look down and see the marketplace. And right here is where Paul gives his famous speech. And they are asking him to share the gospel. This is Paul's moment to shine. And this is what he says. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, an altar to an unknown God. But you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. I want to stop right here and notice for a second that Paul actually finds common ground with the culture he's preaching the gospel to. You see that? He actually says, look, I'm noticing that you are very religious. You're not anti-God or anti-philosophy or anti-asking hard questions. We have this in common. And then Paul has no problem saying, but you actually don't know what you're worshiping. And I want to tell you who this unknown God really is. And this is what Paul says. The God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. <clears throat> to which he could point and say, like that, right up on that hill. You see, they are asking him if he will add one more God to their pantheon of gods. And Paul says, no, thank you. My God overturns the pantheon. He made everything. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in temples like the one built up there. By the way, he is not served by human hands, as all of your pagan priests think, as if he needed anything. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul goes on and says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times and history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I hope you can tell at this point that the Epicureans and Stoics would not have liked anything Paul has said so far. Remember, the Epicureans said, well, all of life is just chance. History is just a random, assorted events. And Paul says, no, God is actually in charge of all of human history. He talks about all these big topics, the creation of the universe, God's transcendence above need, his providence over history, and he um, rejects the pagan gods that all of them worshipped. But here's something that Paul does in the middle of this probably controversial sermon. He quotes their own poets right back to them. Did you notice that? He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This is interesting. Paul takes a, a second in this very controversial sermon to say, hey, I actually have read what you guys read, and I like some of it. But I love the conclusion he comes to in verse 29. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. I love this. Paul says, yes, we are God's offspring. Just like Genesis chapter 1 says, we are made in the image of what? Of God. Therefore, we do not make images of God. We are made in the image of God, and so we should not make images of him. Paul doesn't even stop there. I mean, think about this for a second. He is criticizing idols in Greece. 
This is like criticizing billboards in Los Angeles. This is like criticizing live music in Austin. This is the worst, most least receptive crowd possible. And Paul does it anyways. And he keeps going. He says, in the past, God overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And this is the straw that breaks the camel's back for Paul's audience. He says he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The Greeks would not have liked that. They believed in the immortality of the soul, but they believed the body was something disgusting that you left behind in your, in your death. You don't want the body ever again. And Paul says, no, 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 Jesus was raised from the dead with a new and glorified body. And so look at verse 32. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they give up at this point. Some of them sneered, and others expressed mild interest at best. We want to hear you again on this subject. We find out in verse 34, only a handful of people become followers of Jesus. Dionysius, a member of the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Back in Acts chapter 2, Peter got thousands of people to be baptized, and Paul is walking away from Athens with a handful. Maybe four, maybe five converts. This sermon series is about the apostles' mission to the world. And we talked last week about Paul's mission to Thessalonica. And we walked away with this one truth, and I want to repeat it again. The church and the gospel always make some kind of trouble for Caesar's world. We talked about this. The Thessalonians were terrified because Paul was saying there's another king, not just Caesar. Christians have ultimate allegiance to Jesus. But here's the truth I want you to walk away with today. The gospel, wherever it goes, addresses topics that cultures think they have already figured out. Think about Paul preaching in Athens. The Epicureans and the Stoics, they already, they already know these things. And Paul says, actually, you're wrong. The faith revealed to us in Jesus Christ doesn't agree with all of your culture's assumptions. And so this is the hard question for any Christian living today. What topics does our culture think it has already figured out? I want to list some on the screen. Here's some questions that maybe our culture already thinks it has the answers to. What can I do with my money? Is my body my own? How do we best seek justice? Can anyone else tell me what to believe? Now, for Christians, we know that Christ calls us to be generous. So think about that first question. That doesn't really sit well in a culture that's consumeristic. Christ calls us to be sexually pure with our bodies, which doesn't sit well in a culture that teaches you to be lustful. Christ calls us to seek justice and mercy which does not sit well in a culture that wants to pick and choose when it likes mercy and when it likes justice. Christ tells us that the scriptures cannot be broken, but our culture tells us to not let an old ancient book teach us what's true. These are controversial questions. And it would be very tempting to avoid those topics, but the cost of avoidance is very high. If the church, if Christians do not address controversial topics, our culture will anyways. 
If a topic isn't allowed here among brothers and sisters in Christ, it will be encouraged elsewhere. Every smartphone that we have in our hands is teaching us what to care about, what to believe, and what to buy. Every, every advertisement is teaching us what's heroic, what's valuable, what's good in life. Every news feed that we see is teaching us what to be anxious about. Either the church can avoid topics by handing over our responsibility to others, or we can approach each and every topic with the person of Jesus Christ. We can think the way Paul did. Now, if I were Paul, I would dread preaching that sermon in Athens. I'd be thinking the whole time, they're going to disagree with every single point I make. I won't be successful. But Paul doesn't worry about that. He worries about being faithful. And I love that no matter how distressed he was with idolatry in the city, no matter how controversial his message was, he went into the city, he taught in the synagogues, he taught in the marketplace, and he preached the good news. And that's what we're called to do today. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the boldness that your Holy Spirit gave to the apostles. That whether they were successful in Jerusalem or unsuccessful in Athens, they went to the synagogues, they went to the marketplaces, they found any possible avenue and they preached the good news. They told people about Jesus suffering, dying, and rising from, the, rising from the dead never to die again. Father, we pray for that boldness today. That whatever aspect of our message is controversial, that we would approach everything with bravery. That we would address difficult topics head on, knowing who Jesus is, knowing what scripture teaches, knowing Christian wisdom that has been gained over the past 2,000 years. Father, I pray that we would never shy away. Father, I ask that you uh, help us to do, as the New Testament says, to speak the truth in love. We can never be heard if we're known for hate. So, Father, I pray that we keep these things together and not separate them. Help us to be preachers of the truth, teachers of the truth, and people known for love of neighbor and enemy alike. We cannot sacrifice one for the other. Father, I pray for this church as we try to have a voice to address all sorts of difficult issues in our own church and outside of it. I pray that you give us audacity in the same way that Paul showed his boldness 2,000 years ago. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.